Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is Jeff Doton with Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Podcast Network, Kansas City's number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team and KC and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this week's show, former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valero and I discussed the Chiefs minicamp and also some other issues going on uh, with the Chiefs. Joe, pretty much I think every week from here on out until the season, we're going to talk about offensive line. Not only that was <laughs> your, your specialty, but that's such a crucial part of the Chiefs, and they've really overhauled um, that that group. And, of course, the big news is the fact that Kyle Long uh, hurt his knee, was not there at uh, minicamp. Uh, Joe, I actually think, listen, I, I, I love this signing of Kyle Long, but I, I do think this is a, a significant thing. Now, it, it sounds like it could have been worse. Uh, reports are that he should be back maybe in time for week one. But for a guy who didn't uh, play at all last year and then only played four games before that, going to a new team, a new system, I don't see how he can be the starting right guard, even if he's healthy, right right from the get-go, maybe later in the season. Do you think this is as significant as I do in, in, in those terms? Yeah, I, well, what it does, Jeff, is obviously it limits the competition, right, which, we, which you and I have talked about for the last couple of pods, right? We've been talking about what competition does for a team, and, and I think the Chiefs were going, are going to up front relish in that this year. Look, we know that the left side of the line is, is set, right? Mm-hmm. We know that that's, that's going to be okay over there with the signing of Thune and Orlando Brown Jr. I mean, that's just short of something, knock on wood, disastrous happening. <clears throat> that's going to be the left line. That's going to be the left side of the line opening day. You know, from the center over, I mean, we were going to see some battles. And, and we were going to see, you know, what product the Chiefs could put out there that was going to provide this team the best chance to be successful. I think what the Kyle Long injury does is it just pokes one more little stab at what happened in the Super Bowl from a depth perspective, Mm -hmm. right? Like, to me, that's why they did all this, right? That's what Brett Veach, you know, starting at the top was looking to do, right? He was looking to create this, this, this offensive line of depth that was like impenetrable, where, where in essence, I think what he wanted to do, and I don't want to put thoughts or you know words in, into into you know a senior manager like Brett Beach's mouth, but I think he was trying to create an offensive line where there were basically eight starters, right? Considering if they were going to keep eight or nine, depending on what they do roster wise. Which if they're smart, they're going to keep nine because we don't want to happen what happened last year. But when you do look at it, and I know I've been throwing that little cliche around a little bit, like that they have this group of starters, but if you do look at, they all really are. Other than, of course, you know, having the rookies out there who haven't really played. I mean, they've, you know, they've got a real solid group of starters, even in the backup ranks. And I think what it does is, you know, it hurts. um, It hurts that sort of that depth thing that they were going after. If he's not really ready to compete and to push LDT back to Super Bowl form, right, after having taken the year off, if Kyle Long's not there to do that, it just – it's just you don't want that complacency to be there, right, where LDT now comes in and thinks, oh, well, of course I'm going to be the starter now. And, you know, we just knew that all of that competition was going to spark of, uh, you know, push. 
And I, and I think we're going to, we're going to miss that. And I think that's, to me, that's the biggest piece of losing my, you're right, Jeff. I, I, I'm not sure if he was going to be slated as the starter, but that battle was going to provide a lot of opportunity for the team to, to really continue to progress, especially on the right side of the line. I, I really like Kyle Long. I, I got a chance to cover a lot of Bears games and he is just plays with the tenacity. And also I just, from being in the media, I like him. He always was a great quote and it's very candid and, and funny. So I'm definitely uh, rooting for him. But you know, So I thought he had a good shot at right guard. I think this really gives a leg up to Duverde and Ardif, who also didn't uh, play last year. He wasn't at the OTAs, but he met uh, with the media on Tuesday uh, at mini camps. He is there, talked about his decision to opt out. And, and he was very cool. He, I loved what he said. Um, you know, they, they asked him about how, what was like, you know, watching team and watching NFL being played without him. And, and, and he said how great it was. He said he left because it was his own personal decision that he wanted to help the fight against COVID. But he said he's so glad that football continued to be played. He, he thought it helped give people during a very tough year for everyone, give, gave some enjoyment to people and allowed people to bond. I thought that was so, and he put it much more eloquently than I'm. No, <laughs> I'm you did, you did it great. Here. Uh, but yeah, he's, and he also said that he's, he admitted there's nothing like football conditioning, but he said, you know, he, he had built his own kind of little weight room and he said his numbers that he's posting on some of the major lifts are better than he ever has. So he's expecting, um, you know, big things from this year. And, and Joe, he, right now, you think he's probably the odds on favorite at start at right guard? He has to be right. I mean, he has the experience, you know, we'll see what rust he can shake off uh, from an actual playing perspective. But yeah, I mean, look, it, it, it makes me think about the, um, the scene and the part of the movie from Rocky four, right. For those who are, who are Rocky movie fans, right. Where uh, Ivan Drago is training in the Russian, you know, high tech, uh, you know, all the treadmills and he's attached to machines. He's got these, you know, now granted the movie was back in the, you know, eighties and nineties, you know, they got the, they got the, uh, um, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the super Nautilus machines and all this fancy stuff. And there's Rocky training in a barn, lifting, lifting, you know, wagons and pulling rocks over the top of a, of a, uh, uh, you know, of a support beam in a barn. And so, and then Rocky, you know, came out of that with that roughness, right? Maybe that's what, what LGT is going to come out of this with. He's going to come out like Rocky, right? Like this, this mountain man that just, you know, was training, lifting whatever he could around his, his home because all the, you know, the gyms in Canada were closed and for COVID. So, yeah, I mean, and, if, and, and look, sometimes that kind of round, that, that kind of uh, well-rounded training does, you know, stimulate muscles that you might not, you know, you might not use if you were using a straight, you know, pure weightlifting uh, regimen, you know, that, that, that this high tech equipment that the Chiefs have at Arrowhead. So I think it's pretty cool. I, I think it's cool. I think the whole story is cool. You know, um, going back to Kyle Long, not to, not to go back to that again um, and go get away from LDT, but, you know, that, that was the one thing too that I forgot to say, Jeff, that you mentioned is that, you know, you were hoping that he was going to bring that fiery, mm-hmm. just out there right because most of the most of the linemen that you know that the chiefs have are are relatively reserved guys right it's a a relatively reserved group right i think when you you, when you look at the whole the look at them as a whole so maybe that was something that kyle was going to bring to the table just that out there 
outside the box, you know, kind of play offensive line like a defensive player, right? To use an analogy like that. So, you know, it, it is, it's, it's, it's a hit, you know, LDT is definitely much, you know, much more reserved and, you know, he's, he's a technician, uh, the way that he plays, the way that he plays line, um, you know, hey, and I think it's probably for Nick Allegretti, you know, an opportunity for him to feel a little bit more like, okay, now, not that you ever wish anybody to get hurt on your team, but when it does happen, you know, you get that sense of like, okay, now maybe this is my chance to get more reps uh, through the mini camp, get more reps at training camp and see where, where Nick fits in to this whole thing as a pass starter. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, it's going to show us a little bit of the depth of, of what the chiefs have with not having Kyle, but it also, I think takes away from the depth they were trying to create. Great points, Joe. And we'll, we'll have more on the offensive line and hopefully more uh, references to Rocky Four, a true classic. But first, a word from our sponsor. The month of June is heating up with a ton of exciting sports action. And Bet Online is where you can find it. From basketball and hockey playoffs to baseball's marquee matchups, including pop bets and futures, Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Joe, uh, another piece of uh, news we have that is kind of players have been talking about at many camps and being asked about are uh, Le'Veon Bell's uh, comments. He was, he's currently on signed uh, on Instagram. I never play for Andy Reid again. I retire first. Uh, Joe, what do you, I mean, everyone is usually so complimentary of Andy Reid. What do you, you make of these comments? And now he did, he did say that he, afterward Bell said that he apologized that he shouldn't have used Instagram or social media as a way to convey that, that message. But he said he didn't, that is, you know, he wasn't apologizing for his sentiment, but just the, the means he chose to deliver it. Anyhow, Joe, what, what do you make of that? I mean, look, you know, I, I've I, I've seen what Andy has done. I've seen what his players have said about him on the whole. And, you know, Jeff, look, anybody who works in a team environment at all, whether it be in a football organization, uh, you know, an insurance brokerage like I work in today or, you know, you in journalism and journalism and media, like you're always going to run into to problems with people, right? The people part of what we do in life in any organization is always the biggest challenge. It it doesn't matter what the organization is. It doesn't matter what the goals of your organization are or what the means to their end are, you know, whether you, you know, you're an organization that sells, you know, mouses, uh, you know, you sell computers and, and, and computer mice, or you sell paper or you play football the people side of it, you know, when you have different kinds of people coming together with different backgrounds and different goals and different motivations, that's the challenge. You know, that's, that's where the chemistry comes in. And, you know, look, you know, whatever their internal problem was, you know, I, I, I do have, I have respect for, for Le'Veon Bell coming out and saying, look, I, I, I'm going to apologize for the way that I said it. But, you know, I'm not going to apologize for what I said. Um, you know, look, he, everybody has the right to their opinions. And, and unfortunately, we just don't know um, what it is. Because for the most part, on the, 
on the outside, we see Andy Reid as this sort of benevolent, you know, leader, uh, players coach, right? Doing air quotes there. You know, he's, he's, he's somebody that has gained a, a lot of respect for his, for his players. I, I think Le'Veon definitely made some comments about, and, and one of the things that was alarming is that he said he enjoyed just about everything in KC. It's funny that he enjoyed just about everything, but unfortunately his relationship with, with coach Reed, like, you know, you know, that's what he was striking at. Something must have happened there because he, he also talked about, you know, the, the, it's one of the closest locker rooms of players. Uh, he enjoyed the teammates that something happened there. Some, he took something personally in either the way that he was utilized or the way, you know, the way that he felt like he was treated. Totally. Right. And, and that, and that's, you know, and then, and then what happens is, you know, your, your, your thoughts become your words and your actions. Right. And he, and he expressed that. Um, and that's his right. I mean, that's his, you know, that's his, that's his privilege to be able to do that. Right. In a, in a, in a free society of a free speech to say, you know, what you, what you, what you want. And I just think from the outside looking in, you know, more people are going to say that it's Le'Veon Bell's problem than it is Andy Reid's problem. Because if you look at the the majority of the players who played for Andy or play for him, they've never said anything like that. Um, you know, and it's interesting. You mentioned the other players and how he was complimentary of, of, the, of the rest of the Chiefs. Uh, Travis Kelsey, during the first day of minicamp on, on Tuesday, was asked about that. And he, he was nothing but complimentary of, of Bell. And listen, like... Um, Kelsey is a stand-up guy, a class guy, so, so you knew he wasn't going to slam, but he, he praised Bell's work ethic. What was interesting, during the course of the year, whenever um, Andy Reid was asked about Le'Veon Bell, what he actually praised was his, his smarts. That was the thing that stood out. And, you know, Bell last year, um, it's interesting. I thought he looked – I thought that when he did get a lot of action, and Kelsey mentioned that he was really banged up toward the end of the year, and that, that affected things. Um, but I thought he showed some nice wiggles, some nice bursts. I, I, I think he just – I think Bell's biggest problem, in my opinion, was actually picking I, – I don't think he's done a good job of picking the right situations. Going back to – I think he would have been better off just staying in Pittsburgh. Um, then, of course, he held out that year, joined the Jets. It was kind of a wash for about the money. He, he lost year, and he didn't, like, gain any more money, and he ended up on, you know, the Jets, which was a pretty – one of the worst teams in the league, and that didn't go well. And then I actually thought the Chiefs were a strange fit. Obviously, hey, Chiefs are a great opportunity to win, but they, they're such a passing offense. They already had Edwards Lair, and he was coming in late. Like, I almost wonder, Buffalo and Miami were other options that have more needs. You know, I, I, I think – so my guess is that Bell was probably upset about the lack of uh, playing time. You know, he, he didn't even – he didn't get any action in the in, in the Super Bowl at all, um, and very little action in the playoffs. So I would I would think that playing time is what was his issue was. But I think again that's I, I think he might have been making the wrong decisions in free agency. Joe, what what do you think of my take on this? Yeah, I think that's that's very astute, Jeff. That that he had other options. You know, look when you see a team on the rise like the Chiefs, and you get that sense in your feeling and in your gut when you walk into a locker room and you and you feel that the chemistry is there to get to the Super Bowl. Look, there's a, there are a lot of players out there who would give up playing to get that Super Bowl ring, mm-hmm. especially when they've had a career. Like I could see, look, I could see if you're a 
first or second year player and you all your whole goal is to be out on the field to play and start and to get that next contract where you can make some big bucks right like you're going to choose you're going to choose a personal option like playing and being on a team even if you think that team's going to go 0 and 16 i know as a former player i you know no offense to the chiefs or anything but if if someone would have told me i could have gone to play for the 0 and 16 whoever's right um, at the time, and they said, and you're going to be the full-time starter. I got to be honest, in my first one to three years in the league, I would have chosen the chance to be a full-time starter on a team mm-hmm. that didn't even have a snowball's chance of going to the Super Bowl. So, you know, but when you get to the Le'Veon Bell, you know, and you're like, all right, I've done that. I've been there. I've, I've been a rushing leader. I've been a full-time starter. I've only got, as a running back, so many I've only got so many carries in this body, right? We know that running backs are probably our, our shortest uh, lived position in the NFL that he probably said, I'm going to get a Super Bowl ring, you know, because that, that you can take that with you for the rest of your mm-hmm. life, especially when you're, when you're, when you have the stature of a, of a Le'Veon Bell. The and thing that I have a better place to get that ring than, I, than Kansas City. He, he, you know, he had the shot, but then, then they don't get it. And the turmoil starts, right? They don't get the he, – he makes the choice to go there. They don't get the Super Bowl ring. He's not played in the playoffs. You know, they always say, you know, winning cures a lot of ills or rising tides raise all boats. I mean, they win the Super Bowl, and he still has the same amount of playing time. Maybe it's a whole different story. You know, he's walking around with that big hunk of diamonds on his hand, and he's got the Super Bowl ring he can take with him for the rest of his life. Maybe he doesn't even – maybe he – he doesn't have these kind of conversations about Andy Reid. Who knows? But, you know, one of the things, Jeff, that I've taken in like a management philosophy is when you have issues, you know, you've got to look at like, it's like, I call it the hub and spoke theory. Like, so think of like a bicycle tire with like the spokes coming out of the center, right? If you, if you have an issue between one person and another person, and there's a direct line between those two, you don't know, right? You don't know who's at fault. If there's conflict, right? Is it, is it player A or person A versus person B? We'll never know, right? Because the whole back and forth, he said, she said of, of, of conversations. But then if now that person in the middle has a problem with another person, and then they have a problem with another person. And all of a sudden, the spokes are all coming out from one person in the middle of that tire, that, that bicycle tire. Then you have to start wondering, who's the problem? Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, okay, like, there's not a lot of people have a problem with Andy Reid. There's not a lot of pro- people that have a problem with Mike Tomlin, right? And, 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 and with the Steelers organization. But all of a sudden now, the, the, the common denominator here is Le'Veon Bell. And, and you're kind of like, okay, well, who, who's the problem here, right? And, and you just have to kind of look at it that way. And I do that in conflict resolution at work. When I ask one person why they have a problem with another person, I go to outside resources and find out and get opinions about those people. And generally, it will start to point to one person. And you say, oh, well, then obviously, they're the problem. So, I mean, I don't want to throw that management philosophy on the Le'Veon Bell in this issue, but you, you know, you kind of started the ball down that road, right? Like you, you problems in Pittsburgh. Now mm-hmm. it's problems in Kansas city. And you're like, okay, we're gaining some evidence here on who might be the problem in this situation. Uh, well said, Joe, a very cool analogy. Uh, and, and by the way, I have a, a good Le'Veon Bell story that I'm going to share, but first I want to talk about a new sponsor we have that I'm very excited about. Moik was founded by eighth generation 
farmers who were featured on Shark Tank. Host Kevin O'Leary said it's the base, best bacon he's ever tasted, and I agree. And Jamie Simonoff, creator of the Ring Video Doorbell, even invested it. So why do just four companies control 80% of the U.S. meat industry? Because big food crushes the little guy. And you can help change that with moinkbox.com. Why are 97% of the chickens served in the U.S. dipped in chlorine? Simple, because big food doesn't have the same quality standards as the family farm. That's why you need moinkbox.com. The best bacon, the best steak, the best chicken, and the best salmon you'll ever eat won't come from the grocery store. You'll only find it on a family farm and caught by independent Alaskan fishermen. That's why you need moinkbox.com. So join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash believe. Right now, listeners to this show get free bacon for a year with every box order. Can't beat that. That's one year of the best bacon you'll ever taste, but for a limited time. It's spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com slash B-L-E-A-V. That's moinkbox.com slash believe. What a cool uh, new sponsor we have. So oh, Jules, awesome. a couple years ago, uh, I was covering the, the Eagles uh, Patriots Super Bowl when your Eagles uh, kind of upset the Patriots. And there was a Super Bowl party the night before and it was fun. There were um, a lot of the, a lot of the players were there. I actually saw Mahomes and Kelsey was. It was an EA Sports party, and Le'Veon Bell was there. And you know, it was an open bar, and and all the guys were all the players were having fun. And like Le'Veon Bell was hidden, uh, uh, trying to you know talking talking to women, just trying to hey, as young guys, single guys should do, you know, just having fun. Um, but what was funny about it is this was the time when he was going through that first holdout and he was saying, oh, I'm never going to play with the Steelers again. And here he was chatting up this woman and he had nothing but Steelers gear on, like a Steelers shirt, <laughs> a Steelers hat. And it was so funny. This is what I would do to try to convince somebody I was a player. But it was very funny to see like an NFL player and also true his distancing himself from the team covered in uh, Steelers gear. So that, that was my uh, Le'Veon Bell. Uh, that's, I don't know if that gives us any insight into why he didn't like Andy Reid, but uh, yeah. So uh, Yeah, well, if he's, you know, if he's hanging out at uh, next year's uh, Super Bowl party wearing all Chiefs gear because he's trying to, <laughs> right. you know, trying to pick up, you know, some ladies, then, you know, then we'll know we'll know that it's it's Le'Veon. That's not yeah that, exactly. I'll, I'll be on the lookout. So that's the kind of reporting I'm going to bring to Believe Podcast. I'm going to let you know which there you go and where the players, what kind of clothing those players, <laughs> kind of people they're representing. Uh, Joseph, the three day mini camp here. It's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and the Chiefs have a long break then till training camp. Uh, where this is being posted on Wednesday, so the second day of that mini camp. Joe, any 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 favorite mini camp stories you want to share with our our listeners here from your day? Oh, oh man, mini camp, God, you know, I guess I got to go back, Jeff, to my rookie year, right? Because everything was so new, and so fresh, and like it was so unlike what you know I had experienced in college from just you know like the 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 amount of preparation and everything that goes into to an NFL practice right and I'll never forget my first mini camp and uh, you know here I was you know coming coming fresh eyed into the league and we were at our first mini camp and we were doing our early morning testing where we were going to do basically the same kind of stuff you do at the combine 
to see if player what players were doing to stay in shape and if they were coming back and you know with their doing having done their agility drills and their strength drills and all that stuff in in the off season. So we get to our first mini camp and I'm going to throw a name out to, uh, which is like a, a football family, a, ro- a Royal football family, the Baldinger family. Right. Oh, so, sure. so, you know, three brothers that all played rich Brian and Gary, right. Had all played in the NFL and all at the same time, which is there's only been several or a handful of three brothers uh, that have played in the NFL at the same time. And the Baldingers were, were one of them. So rich was, you know, a wily old veteran who had been been in the NFL at that point when I came to the Chiefs in 1991 for at least, I want to say he'd been there at least maybe 11, 12, 13 years, something like that, right? So he's a wily old veteran. And, and so we're getting ready to run the 40-yard dash. So Howard Mudd is doing the clocking for the offensive lineman, and he's calling the players up to get ready to run the 40-yard dash. And Rich looked like he was working himself into a lather, getting ready to run the 40-yard dash, right? Like, because I'm, I'm kind of fresh off the combine at this point, and, like, I'm fresh off of college. So, you know, I had kind of had my running form down, and I knew that I was going to be able to compete with, with the players from a 40-yard from a dash perspective. But you would have thought Rich was getting ready for the Olympics. I mean, he was stretching and he was huffing and puffing and he was like slapping his arms and slapping his legs and getting all fired up to run this 40-yard dash. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's going to run like a 4-5-40. Like he's going to, you know, he's he's probably going to be in the Olympics or something running against, you know, at that time, Carl Lewis or something, right? And he gets up there and he lines up and Howard Mudd, offensive line coach, is like, okay, on your movement, right, which is generally what you do in a 40-yard dash, you, you know, the, the coach will stop, start the stopwatch when on the movement of the player. So Rich gets down and he's huffing and puffing and he's grunting and groaning. He lines up on the line and then, and then Howard says, okay, on your movement, Baldy. And then all of a sudden Rich jumps out of his stance and he starts jogging. <laughs> and Jeff, he must have run. It must have taken him nine seconds to get that forty yards because he literally was like, he was like, he was like jog walking. Hilarious. And I'm telling you, it was um, the whole place lost it. Like the whole, it just like everybody went nuts. Coach Schottenheimer, even even Coach Schottenheimer had even he Coach got a, he, never showed, he even yeah. Coach Schottenheimer got a kick out of it. And, uh, you know, and Coach Schottenheimer was like, hey, Baldy, I see you're, you, got, you, you picked up some speed. And you're even faster than last year. <laughs> That's a good line. That's a good line. It was great. Marty, perfect comedic timing. And, you know, everybody got a good laugh out of it. And, you know, because everybody knew, look, you're Rich Baldinger. You've been playing for a, more than a decade in the NFL, you know, starter, tough, tough as nails player. Like Rich was one of those guys. I, I really had a lot of admiration for him as a tough, a tough nose player, you know, and here he is like, what does he need to run a 40 yard dash for? Right. Like this guy, if he's running 40 yards in an NFL game, something's wrong. We're probably through an interception, you know? And, and so, and so it just, it was like my, my favorite, one of my favorite veteran stories about somebody who just was like, all right, guys, I'm, I'm not running 40, but it, but the fact that he made it look like he was, tr- it, he was about to run like the 40 yard dash of his life. And then he just pops out of the stance and starts walking. I mean, it was, it was pretty classic and it was pretty comedic and, and everybody got a kick out of it, but nobody ever questioned, questioned Baldy's work ethic and in the weight room and, and his, his workout. But, but, 
but he definitely wasn't a big fan of running 40 yard dashes. <laughs> so, no, that's that's yeah. great. Now, Joe, out of curiosity, so for each of your mini camps, pretty much uh, with the Chiefs under Sean Hammer, was like the the four, running the forty like part of it, like they just did that as part of the regular test. It was yeah, it was the it was the first thing we did at mini camp. That first mini camp, we did basically sort of the whole. I, I, I've started to keep using this analogy, but the whole combine thing, right, right. you know, cause he just wanted to see how, what you were doing. Like, cause it was, you know, it, it just gives you like a good sense of, of what somebody has been doing that whole off season, right? Like that they weren't just sitting around, you know, just eating bonbons and, you know, watching soap operas all day. You know, they were actually getting their, their off season workout done, especially for the players who weren't there in the off season. You know, players, you know, not everybody participated in 100% participation in the off-season workout. So, you know, you might lose the player from, you know, the time, you know, it was, uh, you know, the season ended in early January if you were lucky to make it to the playoffs. And then, you know, then all the way through March or April, you know, and then that's when we used to have our first mini camps, right? Because we didn't have the OTAs back then. It was more of a series of mini camps than it was OTAs. And so when somebody would come back in, in March or April, after being gone for three months, you know, you just kind of wanted to test them to see, to see what they were doing. It was a pretty good indicator of whether somebody was, was spending some time in the weight room and, and on the field doing their off season stuff. Interesting. So great story. And Joe, and also some interesting insight to how, um, how, how these mini camps work. Obviously they've changed over the years very much. So from uh, those days, but yeah, it makes sense. They just wanted a kind of a basic test to see where everyone is at. Well, if you enjoy this show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're presented by Bet Online, and we're available on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.